0: Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast. Buckeyes now on Sports Illustrated, talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes upon further review. It's our first episode of upon further review of the season, because it's the first Monday after Ohio State's opener. We'll do these every Monday throughout the course of the football season to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly from the the week that was, certainly the game for the Buckeyes, but also, of course, thinking a little bit bigger picture, too, with how the Big Ten played out and perhaps even some of the national notable games to try to set the stage for the following game. That's the idea every Monday. And boy, is the following game this week going to be a big one. We'll talk plenty of Oregon throughout the course of the week, but today I think is the appropriate time to to put a bow on what happened uh, this past weekend. I'm Brendan Gulick along with Brett Hiltbrand. Brett, uh, it was a long weekend, not just because it was a holiday weekend, but because the Buckeyes played on Thursday night. Certainly grateful for... uh, uh, a good weekend of football. We had some incredible matchups around the country, I guess it's uh, all that much more enjoyable when Ohio State opens with a win.
1: Yeah, you know, I you like we said, you know, if you happen to watch, you know, or listen to the uh, podcast that we did directly after the game, you know, I felt like it it checked every box uh, that you that you would have wanted to see if you're a fan, and I think it also checked every single box that Ryan Day and that coaching staff wanted to see as well, and and I think it. It did the job uh, in a single game that you would expect uh, a more typical Ohio State season over the first first maybe two games to do. So I think they uh, this entire squad essentially kind of learned what they needed to learn over the course of one game in half the time uh, that it normally would over the course of a typical season. So it's uh, uh, I think that's a, an extra good thing. You know, you do that. It's half the snaps, uh, less toll in your body, and uh, ready right or, right or not, here you come. You know, you have a, uh, a legit, uh, you know, top 15 team coming up next.
0: And that top 15 team is uh, going to get a little bit stronger and maybe a little bit weaker in certain areas on the defense. I know it might sound silly to say, but they could have very different looking personnel uh, in Oregon this weekend with uh, two defensive backs that were – suspended last week that will not be suspended for this week. Uh, and and the word out of Oregon today is that Kayvon Thibodeau is uh, dealing with a, an injury that is day to day. I don't know how true that is. He was in a boot on the sideline in street clothes uh, against Fresno State in the second half last week. But I'm certain they're not going to tip their hand if they don't need to. So uh, I'm sure the Buckeyes are, are anticipating that he'll play, and, and they'll figure out if he is not available. Looking backwards here, Ohio State, maybe let's start with the good things, right? Good, the bad, and the ugly, let's start on a good note. Um, C.J. Stroud, incredibly poised in the second half. Uh, I thought there were times where he looked not necessarily nervous in the first half. I thought he was prepared, um, but just some rust. The guy hasn't played football in a real game in live action in two years, and I thought there were a few plays where it kind of looked like it. Um, but as we've alluded to in the past, the play calling, I thought, in the first half was more to get him comfortable. Uh, and in the second half, Ryan Day said, all right, let's start swinging and, and get after it. And Stroud threw for 294 and four touchdowns by the end of the night. He wins freshman of the week honors in the Big Ten. It wasn't perfect by any stretch, but promising, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, I also think, too, that there was, a, there was almost a tentativeness a little bit with that play calling in, in the first half that I think led to uh, some some uncharacteristic uh, situational football uh, kind of scenarios that I don't think Ohio State would see a whole lot uh, or would have expected to see a whole lot in a game like that. Um, it's very obvious that I think the training wheels came off a little bit uh, in those final two quarters, but I also think it, all, it helped to see uh, a little bit of what Minnesota was trying to do defensively both pre-snap and then a little bit with with uh, some of the you know kind of back end top end structures with uh, what the secondary was doing, and then that led directly to uh, an adjustment of trying to get you know receivers open with delayed routes down the field in a kind of a crossing pattern, uh, stretching across the field east-west, and that led directly to several big plays that. All in all, as long as the protection is good, is actually a pretty easy throw for a quarterback. And then once he made a, uh, that first one, you know, the, the floodgates opened. I think, and the confidence was really uh, about as, as high as it could possibly be uh, for C. For C. J. Stroud and company.
0: I had no issue at all with Luke Whipple at center. Thought he played fine. Uh, there were a couple of snaps that were meh, but not a huge deal. Uh, there were no fumbles because of it, so you know, you get away with it. It's okay. It's Luke's first start as well. Um, but filling in for Harry Miller, who was not available, uh, I thought Luke did an admirable job. Uh, first chance to see Thayer Munford at left guard. He was as good as he was at tackle last year. Uh, not a huge surprise there. But, you know, it, it, it was a great week for the offensive line when you don't have a single sack. You don't have a ton of pressure on Stroud. And, you you know, frankly, there weren't very many negative plays at all throughout the course of the entire game. I mean, the, the offensive line did its job. Now, Minnesota's defensive line is not going to be the most talented they see, but I didn't think they stunk. Um, they 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 were fine. They were a good, formidable opponent, um, and I, I thought they did a really good job, especially in the run game. You know, if you're always working ahead of the chains, you're going to give yourself a chance. And then it helps, obviously, when you bust off big runs like what Mayan Williams did or you know Travion's screen pass for a touchdown. Um, but to me, it begs the question, have we seen, I don't want to say the last of Master Teague, but do you think we've seen the last of him in a featured prominent role because of what we saw from Mayan Williams and what Travion Henderson flashed?
1: no I I really don't and in fact quite the opposite I think I think Mm you know we'll we'll see a little bit of what we saw in this past game I think that running back by committee once you know you get the first series another guy gets the second series third series and then in the second half it kind of goes by who might the hot hand be in that specific game you know Jim Jim Tressel always used to say uh he was very proud of this saying which would which always made a it funnier but he uh, was always to say when it came to running backs, you needed a pair and a spare uh, to really make the season go just be si- just simply because of the pounding that those guys take. Now, obviously, that's a different era of football uh, as far as the amount of carries that like a Jim Trestle running back would get compared to, say, a Ryan Day running back. But I think the sentiment still applies that the more depth you have at that position, the better. And I, I think if if you were just after a single game sample size, if you were to very very much uh, kind of reorder and then solidify the depth chart, I think that would be a mistake uh, at running back. I really do. Um, you know, I, I I think that they're going to need all those guys certainly. And I think um, in general at running back, I think all everybody who got in showed the, the promise and the ability that they have. And I think, you know, different situations, different personnel, different opponents will dictate a lot about who gets in the game, especially late on in that set in those second quarter, the, the, the second half of those final two quarters. I, uh,
0: I, I agree that we're still going to see that group in general, because I think there's a lot of talent there and they want to give those guys opportunities to shine. Uh, and frankly, I do trust the coaching staff to figure out when a guy's got the hot hand to, to run with it. And maybe it's not always going to be the same guy every week who's who's having a great stretch. Um, you know, maybe it's not Mayan Williams next week, but uh, I, I was encouraged certainly by what I saw out of that room. But uh, I I would expect that Mayan Williams has had proven enough to earn the start uh, against the Oregon Ducks. By the way if you have questions or comments you want to throw our way we certainly appreciate that um thanks for listening after the fact but also thanks for thanks for listening and watching live we want to interact with you and and make this uh interactive you know so please feel free to to drop in as where goes one has just done all went well when they started to open up the offense cj went uh, cj played well all things considered and he followed up with master will be a situational back goal line and short yardage that to me is where I think he has the most value because master T is definitely physical. You know, he, he has, he has proven his worth for sure in this league throughout his career. Um, I just think there's some limitations there. He doesn't have top end speed the way we have seen with Mayan or, or saw with Travion. So um, I think there's places to use master and, and certainly inside the 10 yard lines, one of them.
1: Yeah. So let me, let me, uh, as I often do, let me, let me kind of make the point by telling an anecdote. Um, so Master Teague's first year on campus would have been, he's a junior. So this would have been 2019, 2019 um, or 2020 or uh, 2018. So what this that spring game? Here's his first spring game ever. Um, Master gets in. And I think he was playing for Scarlet back then. So this is, they're doing goal line uh, situational stuff, uh, two tight ends, extra extra offensive linemen, goal line heavy package uh, type plays. Master gets in at running back, and I think they were going against like what a, what would probably equate to like the gray like two or threes uh, group. All right, so these are not like starter type caliber players going up against the scarlet ones and Master Teague, who obviously was a little bit further down the depth chart at that point. And on the play, which was snapped right around, the let's say, like the two or the three-yard line, a hole that you could literally drive a bus through opens up, and Master Teague just kind of jogs through it and essentially crosses the goal line, maybe gets like a yard deep into the end zone and then stops. And Urban Meyer snapped, like lost his mind grabs master T by the face mask. Like it gets like right up in his grill and he, and we are maybe, you know, we're in the back of the end zone at this point in time, shooting the game. And so he's maybe at like a 30, 35 yard line and we could hear him yelling at master T. And it was pretty obvious what he was talking to him about. Cause this kept going like this, like pound that thing in there. Like you finish that. This is a goal line situation. You are dropping your pad level. You are finishing that run strong. And I don't think I ever watched Master Teague at that point ever again. Half-ass the final part of a run, ever. Never saw it again, ever. But it was in that moment that I think it 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 really kind of dawned on him like this is, pardon my French here, grown-ass man football, and that you like it might be a practice, but you this is a situation where you're you're going all out. We don't the the seventy-five percent speed stuff doesn't work here at Ohio state. And I, I, that has always kind of stuck with me because essentially it it turned off that half speed for master Teague. So I think that goal line, big package situation probably fits him best. Um, But I, I, his ball security is also, I think uh, a big thing that this team really likes. And and obviously uh, we know what he can bring because he has those snaps and those experiences uh, in, in big game moments.
0: That's an awesome story. I love that. And and you're right. Uh, I mean, I can't think of any time off the top of my head where, you know, I, I sat there and thought to myself, gee, was was he not running hard? Was he not giving it at all uh, and, and finishing a playoff? So, you know, uh, resonates with everybody in a different way, different time, I guess. Uh, and again, I, this is not at all supposed to be a knock against Master Teague. Frankly, I really like the kid. I think he's, uh, I think he's incredibly mature. Um, I'm impressed by, by the way, you know, he carries his faith on his sleeve and it doesn't seem phony. I mean, he, he just seems like a really good, genuine kind of, uh, kind of dude. Um, I just don't want to ignore the overwhelming talent that seems to be in front of us with Mayan Williams and with Travion Henderson. So I think for that's sure, why, sure. why I want to bring
1: that up. Yeah. And he's very obviously the leader of that group, I think. Sure. And that's a good thing going forward for everybody in that room. Um, And then on top of that, with, with what Tony Alford's done, you can't, you can't argue with the output results wise. And I think if, if there was a position coach that maybe didn't have the same amount of trust that I think Ohio state fans should have, then I think you start worrying a little bit about like snap count and like keeping everyone happy. With Tony Alford in charge of that room, I don't. I wouldn't worry
0: about it one bit. The whole uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly thing is a, a fun and interesting way to dissect a game. It's not supposed to be the offense, the defense, and then fill in the blank. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, but the defense played well enough to win. They're fine. Um, a defensive touchdown helps tremendously, uh, but. You know, at the end of the day, the the, the defense was worthy of of uh, you know more moments of scrutiny than the offense was simply by their performance. Um, the defensive line, kind of like last year, applied a lot of pressure, had trouble finishing and getting to the quarterback. Now, some of that could be on Tanner Morgan. Some of that is definitely on Minnesota's enormous offensive line. Um, that team is really really good up front. They're very experienced, and it was hard. So I, I'm not going to overreact to you know uh, a lack of sack count, especially when you do have a strip sack and a scoop and score from it. So not going to overreact to that. But um, the defense needs to show a little bit more. Cody Simon, uh, the sack he had to end the first half, I think might be the most underrated play of the entire game. You know, it, It's fun to, as a fan to celebrate a sack. To me, it came at such a critical moment because Minnesota had a four-point lead and a chance to tack on before going into the locker room and really punctuating the the end of that half. Instead, Simon on a delayed blitz right over the A-gap closes the half and gives Ohio State a chance to legitimately exhale after a first half that wasn't bad, but it certainly left fans going, what do you mean we're losing at halftime to Minnesota? Right. And I'm sure there was some level of that in the locker room of like, hey, it's a 60 minute game, but like some work to be done here. I I think if if
1: you I would guess that the whatever the next practice was for Minnesota was not super fun because of what they probably saw when they went with not probably what they absolutely saw when they went back and watched the film. Uh, on this game, and that is a handful of really bad-blown assignments on both sides of the football that led directly to huge Ohio State plays, game-changing, game-shaping, momentum-swinging plays. And that's one of them, in the fact that they don't recognize the the, the potential and account for him pre-snap. And then because of that, he has an entirely unencumbered line-of-sight run to the quarterback and then makes a play and, and that's and that's good. But that's a big blown assignment. The 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 screen pass that that Trebion takes to the house is a heck of a lot easier when that because the guy who's supposed to guard you literally turns and runs the other way pre-snap. Like like he was on the other side like literally wrong side of the field. They like didn't get lined up on on that uh play correctly. There are a couple different plays in, in situations where that happened and Ohio State exploited that. Chris Olave, one of Chris Olave's touchdowns. They don't have they they they're trying to get a DB on the field in place of a linebacker. That doesn't happen. That sub doesn't happen. Chris Olave essentially gets lined up against a linebacker, runs behind him, touchdown. Um, so there are three or four plays from the Minnesota standpoint that resulted directly in massive, massive Ohio State plays that either switched the momentum or kept it in Ohio State's favor. Um, and I think defensively you can look at those blown assignments, you know, in, in one of two ways. And I think it kind of depends on on your, your maybe your perspective or personality. But um, how many times have we seen, and if you've watched football at any level, you've seen this a billion times. But how many times have you seen guys have free shots at the quarterback and the quarterback make like one move and that guy goes flying by? Well, you don't make the play. Simon actually makes the play. Like you can still blow the assignment, but you still have to make the tackle. And so that's huge. And and I think little moments like that, the bode so well for confidence, not, not just individually, but also as a position group. And then as a okay. offensive defense, and, and for a defense that felt like at times was floundering that play, I think gave them a boost. Now, um, I think if we're going to scrutinize it specifically, the run defense I felt like needed some serious work. But Ibrahim got 30 carries, and and if he doesn't come out of the game, if he doesn't get hurt, you wonder a little bit about Ohio State's ability to get the ball back as fast as they were able to.
0: Um, I'm not overly worried about the run defense, though, from the perspective that they they allowed Minnesota 50 carries for 203 or 206 yards, and 56 of them came on one play. I mean, it was yeah. – basically three yards a carry with the exception of, of one bad, you know, uh, messed up play. That's, that's a really good margin. If you can figure out a way to continue to do that, especially against a good running back.
1: Totally. And, and I think that like it, it's, it's more of a, like, that's I think that's a good kind of teaching moment too, that like, you can have, you can, you can keep the guy bottled up, for 29 of the 30 snaps. But if you blow it on that one snap and that guy goes for a touchdown, you can lose a game. Like sure. And I think that is an important reminder that to, to these guys that you have to stay switched on and, and, and focused and prepared for every single play, no matter the down distance or situation. And so I, I agree. I, I would not come even close to the word concerned, uh, with with Ohio State's defensive performance uh, in the on the run side of things, I would guess pa- passing game the yards per completion or attempt had to be under ten, easy. Uh, so I all in all, I think you checked every box. Uh, as we said earlier, on on that side of the football, you just didn't maybe you know get the ball as much in that first half, and then in the second half, you scored basically whatever you wanted. So. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was points. it was fine. I think all told, it was fine outside of a couple moments that I think better teams exploit both in the short term and over the the entire landscape of a game uh, that probably would would create more problems for Ohio State. For example, like if if that happens against Oregon, a couple of those blown assignments or missed tackles happen against Oregon, you might have a bit of a problem.
0: But the Buckeyes scored thirty five second half points. Obviously, one of them was a defensive touchdown. So call it. Four yeah. offensive touchdowns in 22 plays they ran in the second half. Is that any good? That's a pretty darn good ratio. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, kind of hit the good and the bad here. I, I, I guess maybe the ugly has a little bit of an asterisk because um, I don't think it's that ugly. But the low points of the game, for me, extremely frustrating roughing the passer penalty uh, on Dallas Gantt. He's a better player than that, and and he's got to know better than you know. Even in a non egregious hit, you can't go high on the quarterback ever. It's it's inexcusable. Uh, and further punctuating that, it wiped out what was a huge interception on a wow. day where the Buckeyes needed a takeaway. Um, so that that can't happen. That's that's not good. Um, you know, and and then look in the secondary. I think we hit on this a little bit earlier in in the, uh, you know, sort of the instant analysis from the game. But it's college football is a hard game to be a defender and to do your job really well. And and I don't think after digesting it a little bit here and, and trying to be fair and objective, I don't think the secondary played like a liability. I don't think they were so bad that you sit there and go oh geez you know minnesota's got the ball no way we're keeping them out of the end zone they weren't that bad uh denzel Burke had some really good moments three good pass breakups but the one that stands out in my head is the foul in the end zone you know you can't do that uh and and it moved the ball to like the three yard line and 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 ibrahim scored you know two three plays later whatever it was from a couple yards out so uh, I think any coach at any level of football is going to tell you that penalties are inexcusable and that turnovers are going to kill you. Uh, and, and those are, you know, those are the the big things that stand out to me is in, in terms of the uglies from the game.
1: Yeah. Five penalties for 48 yards um, in that one turnover uh, for the Buckeyes in this game. I, 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 um, the Dallas game play was kind of weird, right? I think like, you know, like, he was, it was almost like he, the ball was so far gone. And I, in a lot of ways, I'm not even sure how much he influenced the throw in a, in a, in a pretty drastic way. Um, it, you know, like I, I, that, that, that was such an outlier play for me. And I, and, and overall, I, he played really well, probably had seven eight tackles. I would guess he was definitely up there, um, in certainly in the top five, as far as total tackles are concerned. Um, you know, hyper highlights uh, who hyper highlights who just dropped in said secondary is young. They will improve. Denzel Burke is going to be a stud. Um, you know, I think the first part there is the is really the key, right? That in in certain spots they are absolutely young. Um, and but I, I I would highlight a little bit of uh, some of the situational football and trying to recognize a little bit as to what the what they're asking of the secondary, cover three having a bunch of late bail on the opposite side uh, DB, which is good because it kind of keeps everything in front of you. But if that happens, you have to tackle a little bit better. Um, but in general, I, I thought it was fine. You know, it, it, to me, it was more of a macro intangible thing, right? That like, because the, this team faced a little bit of adversity in this game, going down and then requiring it on the road. Uh, you know, we, te- Brandon, you and I texted during the game a little bit about the lack of juice in the stadium when it felt like maybe Minnesota was still in the game. Um, And so I, but like, you know, the atmosphere was still pretty solid. And I think that in in a lot of ways is maybe the biggest thing you take away from this game, you know, in the ugly sense is that like, that was probably about as as bad as Ohio state could play for the most part, I think. And uh, against that quality of an opponent and, and you come away with a pretty dominant second half effort and you, you really showcase uh, defensively what can happen uh, when you make teams pass the ball and have to drop back and understand that there is a pretty massive and really talented pass rush that will come at you, and if you're really not careful, they'll score a touchdown. Money.
0: Two things: one, I want to address this uh, comment from Hero. Uh Do we have an update on the status of Josh Proctor? Uh, no, we don't. Really hoping to tomorrow. Uh, Ryan Day's media availability with the team, is, or I should say, with the um, you know, with the press, is at noon tomorrow. Uh, and I am quite certain he's going to be asked about that. Uh, maybe he'll even address it before he gets the question. But there's there's no way that question's not going to come up. Um, if if Josh is healthy, he's probably the starting safety there. But um, I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't want to give you an answer that we don't we don't know yet. So uh, check back in with us here on, on that uh, if you don't hear it sooner than later. Um, you know, I I have I came across a really interesting stat that. I think will help everybody exhale a little bit uh, if you are concerned about the secondary. Ohio State all-time is 343 wins, one loss, and one tie when scoring at least 35 points. That is ridiculous. The only game they lost was to Clemson in the Orange Bowl back, I think it was 2014 or 15, whatever it was off the top of my head. Um, Only time they've ever lost when scoring at least 35 points. The last couple of years, the Buckeyes have averaged more than 40 points a game. So, you know, does that address the elephant in the room of you're trying to win a national championship, you're not trying to win the Big Ten every year? Maybe that doesn't uh, perfectly address that. But if the Buckeyes offensively can continue to perform at this exceptionally high level that we're used to seeing and that we saw again this past weekend, if they can continue to do that, their own history suggests that they can outscore their mistakes and win pretty much every single time they do it and give themselves a chance to compete for a national championship. The goals in this program are simple. Win the Big Ten, get to Indianapolis, win that game, beat Michigan, win the national championship. And and if if they continue to score at the rate which they have successfully done for a long time, they're going to win way more games than they don't. And in a league where right now they are absolutely king of the castle, the secondary's got time to improve because it's not a, hey, you group of players are holding us back as a team. That's not the case here. So I, I really believe that, you know, we should just take a deep breath with the defensive backs, recognize the Buckeyes had seven brand new starters on defense at different positions this past week, uh, and and trust the offense is going to continue to do its thing because that is a nightmare to cover.
1: I think above all else, what that stat hammers home for, for me is that Big Ten offenses stink and have stunk a long time outside of Ohio State. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's mind boggling to me that like essentially you, you have to reach the 35 point number and you're probably going to beat 95% of the teams you play year in and year out. That means the rest of the teams, that means you're doing good things offensively, but it means everyone else you play pretty much stinks uh, when it comes up to going, when it comes to going up against you. Um, And I, and I think that that molds or marries perfectly with, with what you're saying about the idea that because everything is so looks to be as um, expected on, on that side of the football offensively, knowing that you're going, that that, that there will be more often than not more likely than not uh, a significant number of points scored on that side of the football. I think it eases some of the burden pressures uh, and anxieties that maybe some of these uh, defensive players have knowing that they don't necessarily have to be perfect in order for the team to win. And I think that's, that in large part i think is is kind of the core tenets of of the difference between an elite football program and and a good one right knowing that because you have other other uh players and other situations that that can cover up maybe some weaknesses that that's the mark of of a complete team right and so um you know, if you're a fan and you watch that game and, and you're anxious about what the secondary is, is looking like, I would point to the fact that your quarterback basically threw a touchdown at, at will in the, when it mattered and when the pressure was on in the second half. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that I think as the secondary gets more confident, gets better, gets more efficient, that only makes everyone else on the defensive side of the football better that frees up linebackers that Amen. that lets the defensive line be able to pin their ears back and be a little bit more complex not have to worry a little bit more about gap contain and and, and try and be a little bit more explosive off the snap it only makes things better that improvement is only a net is, is a net positive and that's a huge thing for ohio state Buckeye okay, Breakdown
0: streaming live on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. A good chunk of you guys uh, watching at home are, are doing so on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to our channel, we, uh, we really hope you'll consider that. It would really help us out. And, and, you know, we do this kind of stuff four or five days a week. We, we want to, you know, have you involved in the show. We've, we've answered some questions. We'll continue to do that. Uh, but we'd really appreciate your support if, if you'd subscribe to our channel. Um, I think maybe we've done justice to to looking back on the Minnesota game now. And, and so why don't we turn our attention toward the other big games in a huge opening weekend in college football um, that has serious college football playoff implications all across the country. Um, maybe it's appropriate just because they are the defending national champions. And we've talked about the, uh, you know, the, the, need to be A-plus in basically every facet of the game if you're going to try to beat Alabama. So so let me get this straight, Brett. Um, Alabama loses its quarterback, its running back, its Heisman Trophy winner at wide receiver, and another receiver, a few offensive linemen, uh, several stars defensively, many of them first-round draft picks, and they went out there and embarrassed Miami. And I'm not talking about a bad Miami team. In fact, Miami's got a shot to win the ACC after Clemson's offense didn't look very good. We'll get into that. Maybe that's a product of Georgia's defense. Um, But Miami is a legitimately respectable opponent. And Alabama pumped the Hurricanes. So there is some level of like, here we go again. You know, you, you better be at your absolute best. If you're going to beat that team in the postseason. it's probably possible. Nobody's unbeatable, but man, they're setting the high bar right away.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it, we can reserve judgment on Miami until we see a different opponent um, for them. Uh, I think if you're judging everybody based on how they play against Alabama, it's probably not going to be super fair. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and in, 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 a lot of ways, like I, I kind of am, you know, the, the, every single year, the turnover from, you know, who leaves, you know, what, you know, their embarrassment of first rounders that leave. And it's like, well, the guys behind them might be even better. <laughs> and that's been, it's been like that now for how many years in a row? Like they like, there's literally nothing they can do. That would be surprising to me when it came to, when it comes to like trotting out like a one personnel, um, and, you know, I, I, it's on, and on top of that, I don't think it ever stops being impressive, too. That's the other thing. I, um, you know, I, you know, just because something's unsurprising doesn't make it unremarkable. And, sure. uh, you know, and I think what we're watching when we see, you know, Alabama go out and play is, is you know, the closest thing that that you and I people our age are experiencing to like a college football dynasty, right? Like that's that's what we're watching and we're we're experiencing that week in and week out and and how success can can breed other success in large part irrespective of who you're playing. It literally doesn't matter who they play. And that I think is that's that's maybe the most remarkable thing about
0: it. And and, and perhaps some of it is a condemnation of college football's system. I don't think this part of it's going to change. If it does, boy, it's it's going to take something extremely drastic. If you think about the NFL, it is literally a league designed for parity, which is part of the reason why it is so remarkable that my hometown Cleveland Browns had. Two decades worth of just awful, dysfunctional, terrible results on the football field. And, and unfortunately, in, in a whole bunch of personnel changes in the front office and coaching stabs, too. Um, if you win the Super Bowl, you pick last in the first round, unless you trade it up, right? I mean, you, you you don't get the benefit of getting the best guys coming into the league. In college sports, the best teams in college football, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, they literally get the best high school prospects in the country, and they get a lot of them, right? I mean, almost every they year, get most of them. schools are always toward the top, if not at the top, of the recruiting rankings. So it, it, it's that much more difficult to catch an Alabama, to catch the Buckeyes, You know, Ohio State has more five-star players on their roster right now than literally the rest of the Big Ten does combined, and it's been that way for like a decade and a half since we started keeping track. Yeah, I mean, like you know, there's an element of it doesn't matter at some point what your star ranking was in high school; it matters how you play on the field. But when you get the best talent and you have elite coaches who can scheme properly and teach properly. With the best players, you're gonna get good results. This isn't rocket science. I don't even think well, the coaches, the assistants, really
1: matter that much. <laughs> even though, for the most part, Saban's gotten that right. Um, sure. Which, that which I think, if you look at other programs that have like kind of tried to do that, they've actually gotten that pretty wrong. Um, but I think in in general, the 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 Alabama conversation. It, it, whenever whenever I talk about this, I'm always reminded of. Um, Longtime Sports Illustrated writer, uh, college football writer, golf writer, unbelievable man, uh, Dan Jenkins, when uh, wrote about Tiger Woods back in the 90s. The only thing that can stop Tiger Woods is a bad back or a bad marriage. And uh, kind of funny how that might have proven, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and the two of them didn't really like each other for a, long, a lot of reasons. But anyway, um, I think the the idea of. If you kind of apply kind of the the macro level kind of context or idea behind that sentence to Alabama, it fits, especially now that the in many ways the only thing that looks like it could stop Alabama is uh, like an NCAA violation situation, right? Like it, given the the trendiness that um, kind of college football recruiting has turned into, and in that. You know, the rich seem to get richer because, you know, all of the the kids like to be associated with that. And your kind of long term, you know, traditions and and all of that matter less and less and less. Um, There's no stopping that freight train. That toothpaste is out of the tube and it is not going back unless they screw it up themselves. I don't want to
0: cut you off, but um, especially with where life is now with the name, image and likeness. And with programs like Alabama and Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, you name it, with those programs having already risen to the top, it would take something so egregiously stupid and probably wildly unnecessary to to commit a violation, to get caught, because the success of your program recruits itself, doesn't it? I mean, to me, that – like, what school – at the at the top of anybody's list would really need to go do something that is illegal in recruiting to convince a guy to come in. It's a matter of do you like the culture, do you like the scheme, and do you like who your teammates are. At that point, because I think you can yeah. play at any place that you want.
1: Yeah, the 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 two big big potential problems that that could happen that could like really damage these these programs or brands would be to you know have an NCAA situation or or an assistant coach that does something like hella illegal um sure. but that kind of turns into like a major scandal right um and, and there's like a you know kind of a radioactiveness uh kind of uh you know zeitgeist that applies then to the program for a little while and then people maybe avoid it um and i really just don't see either one of those scenarios happening um you know and i think too right like I think it's like if, if you're if we're talking about the, the, the teams and the programs that are kind of in that like kind of atmosphere or tier, um, you know, the gap between them and everyone else is widening. Yeah. Year after year after year. And I think that if we want to have like a longer, like bigger, kind of broader conversation, that is actually maybe not super great for the health of and long term, long term success of college football. But, um, I mean, like right now we're talking about like three and three quarters programs here, right? We're talking about Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, and kind of Georgia, right? Like those are like, you know, I think Georgia ebbs and flows a little bit. um, Where I think in some years they're in it, some years they're not. Um, And Georgia's like a national championship away from being in it forever. Uh, And I think like with what we saw them do with what we saw their defense uh due to clemson like you, you can't sit there and go you know what that might actually be a, a very tangible possibility um you know and but like it's 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 a self-fulfilling thing right now and
0: and get on board the the the, the trains not stopping anytime soon i uh i, I don't want to go too deep down the uh the recruiting rabbit hole here and and i think we should you know, maybe talk about Clemson because we've hit them a little bit. So, um, Clemson is in a brutal spot right now. Frankly, if there is a, if there's a version of college football hell, they might be living in it, right? They are good enough to beat just about anybody in the country. They should run train on their league, especially because of their schedule. And Where Goes One pointed this out. Um, he thinks they're out of the playoffs because they don't have any, you know, ranked teams left on their schedule. They don't play North Carolina, who obviously had a total clunker of an opening game. Uh, and they don't play Miami. They've got Florida State, who against Notre Dame proved to be a worthy opponent for sure. And obviously what Mackenzie Milton did in the situation around his career, um, holy smokes, I mean, that that is unbelievably impressive. But I, I think Clemson in some ways this season I'm not talking about as a program. Obviously, they're not living in college football hell as a program. But this season right now, they literally lost their opening game. Their offense never looked good against a very good defense for sure. But what wins are they going to accumulate to impress a a college football playoff committee? Like, their national championship hopes, I think, are, are basically zippo. Like, I... I don't know how they get in right now. To me, to have a team that you think is good enough to lose on the opening weekend and then basically not have a chance, a realistic chance, to dig out of that hole, to me, that's the that's the worst. Like, that would suck. Who's the fourth? Who's the fourth team that gets in?
1: Cause it's not Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not, no way that's not happening. I, I,
0: I, I mean, think who's that,
1: like to me, like the converse, if you're, if you're going to have like the, the the overall conversation, you have to pick who's who takes the spot. And it, and if, from what I saw this weekend, you know, we're talking about the, the three that are getting in right now are Ohio state,
0: Alabama, and Georgia. Who's the fourth team? It's pr- like, I, I, think, I, I think there's an element of we need to wait and see. I have been really impressed with UCLA. They win their league and they look good doing it. Maybe they get a shot. Um, I, I don't know. I Oklahoma, you know, I realized they had a bad uh, a, a bad win, if you want to call it a bad win. It wasn't great. At least they won. you know, they can't have that counted against them that it's a loss. You know, you play to win the game, you got to beat the teams on your
1: schedule. Oklahoma, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma is probably the fourth, and I think that, um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, I, their, their quarterback situation is a little funky. Um, you know, I think, I think Oklahoma is probably in it in the same way that, like, in the same kind of context that we talk about Clemson, right? That there just doesn't appear to be anybody in their conference, and so if they lose like a bad, like, non conference game. You know, you worry a little bit about like, oh, they're done, right? Like, I think it's, I think it's super premature just to to label Clemson as like done when they just got beat by probably the second best team in the country. Um, and maybe but in just because they didn't score
0: playoff, doesn't that? I mean, it's not impossible. Ohio State won the national championship losing the second week of the year to Virginia Tech. It's not yeah. impossible, but you need to have staple wins over really good teams. And yeah. I don't know if they I don't know if they're gonna have that chance. If they beat the crap out of NC State and Pitt and Syracuse, is that enough to impress a committee that they are one of the four best teams? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's no, it's probably
1: ago. it's probably not, but I think I think it's a little bit unfair, but I think that's also the nature of the beast that we've created a little bit with, with the fourteen playoff. Um you know, I think if you're if you're a Clemson fan, you know, you probably just became like the biggest Texas fan on the planet oh, sure you need right? your- uh, yeah, absolutely uh and you're rooting for you're rooting for georgia to lose to bama and then like get like got by you know some random sec team like lay an egg have like four turnover game kind of thing uh you know but like i i mean i don't know i i, I really don't i just i think i think the above all else i think my trust in like the, the college football playoff committee to you know essentially like pick like the four best teams is like not very high and and i think that in large part is an evidence based opinion and i think if if clemson runs the table the rest of the way and smashes everyone al- along the way and the choice is between them and an equal record like texas a&m I don't know. No chance. There's no chance that they're that they're taking Texas A&M over them, or or an equal record, um, you know, or a one loss Georgia who just got beat by Alabama in the SEC championship game, right? Like you're like that's maybe more even, but like, I I'd, I'd be shocked, shocked, shocked if they don't make it right now. Even though I do think it may it would be nice to have some new blood, so to speak, in in the with those final four teams.
0: I I think. Clemson can still get in the playoff if the other good teams around the country fall back to them. Yeah. But to me, that's why I call it their position college football hell because they are hoping and praying that, that other really good teams stumble. Right.
1: Like, aren't they, they like, they're hoping that like Shane Beamer takes like they, they beat, soundly beat South Carolina by like 40 points. And then the light bulb goes off for Shane Beamer, Beamer in his first year down there. And they just run riot and beat like two teams that they have no business beating. And then all of a sudden everyone goes, you know, that South Carolina win was a lot better than people realized. Yeah,
0: it, it's uh, I, I just know we're going to look back on that game for Clemson and say, man, they lost to one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. Don't hold that against them. They lost. Like, they lost. That sucks, but they lost. And if you're comparing teams where you need to say who had the better loss, fine. I get that. And, and I've made that argument before. But if there's a Pac 12 team that runs the table, if it, it if, and if, it, like, let's say it's UCLA, they, UCLAs look good and they just pounded LSU. Like, a, a solid good win over a, you know, a a perceived juggernaut program that Coach O has down in, in Baton Rouge. Is
1: even UCLA even right?
0: Oh, they absolutely will be moving forward. I don't know if yeah. they were the outside. I know LSU is like
1: 14, 15, 16, somewhat. Somewhere. Yeah, I mean, UCLA, like,
0: you know, they beat up on Hawaii in week one, so that wasn't enough to, like, open people's eyes. Um, that's a good football team, and and I, I'm not sleeping on them um I think they got a decent shot to win that that league and you know who knows if you're undefeated you win your league I've always said you deserve a chance to play for a national championship I realize we don't live in a system that guarantees that but I I think it should exist
1: I will continue Mm -hmm. to sleep on the Pac-12 until proven otherwise
0: and that's totally fair (laughs) because Ohio State's upcoming opponent when they last played Oregon you know, they they handled the Pac-12 champions and their vaunted offense with relative ease. So I, I totally understand that perspective, too. Um, other games, maybe a little closer to home around the Big Ten. Wow, what a snooze fest in the first half between Penn State and Wisconsin. Um, you know, a lot of defense in the game. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was a bad game, but it did not have the offensive firepower that I thought it had a chance to.
1: Yeah, especially when Penn State Penn State's quarterback says he was the most confident quarterback in the country uh, <laughs> leading up to that game, and then you with with a guy who at their as a and Mike Urich, uh, who did some amazing things in his cup of coffee with Ohio State um, a couple years ago. But like, yeah, I mean, goodness, I think if you're Sandy Barber, who's the athletic director for Penn State, you know. Alarm bells! If they if they're not already ringing with the head coach situation, there I think your alarm bells are definitely ringing now. Because um, that's not good, and, and, and that's a that's a problem. It's a it's a big problem. And I, gosh, man, you know, Penn State to me is a little bit. I, I put Penn State and Notre Dame in the same bucket, uh, in a, in this very kind of like specific bucket that college football is better on the broad scheme of things when those two programs are good. Sure. Like when Notre Dame stinks and they're on NBC and they stink and they can't beat like Navy, like that is the worst. Like that's the absolute worst. Well when Penn State's not good, like that just I feel like then the rest of the the rest of the country goes, oh look at the Big Ten, they stink again because Penn State, which is supposed to be because they have this loudmouth brash coach in this incredible, you know, graphics video team that pumps out all of these like really amazing stuff and then they get and out on the field. A good, Welsh, fan base. Yeah. That like, you know, it's like it's a problem, right? And so um you know, I I that that game and that 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 whole output and you know, James Franklin late game situation blowing that in 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 some ways like again it was like goodness gracious like
0: I mean, at least they won, yeah. but
1: I, yeah, I, they, I mean, they won, but like you won like in the ugliest, nastiest, worst way possible. In some ways, and like I don't think that that doesn't that, doesn't, that that's like an issue. That's a, that's a problem for me because I I like I want Penn State to be better. You know what I'm saying? Like I want I want Penn State to be outward, forward facing, flashy, good. Trace McSorley, cocky. Uh, and that's what I thought we would see, and we didn't see that.
0: I mean, they're the only program in the last five, six, seven years that has consistently given the Buckeyes trouble. Um, It's the last time Ohio State lost in the division was Penn State five seasons ago. Um, It's more fun when you look at that game and you're a Buckeye fan and you kind of have a big lump in your throat because, you know, that's going to be a a real dogfight. Um, I agree with you, and I you know, give them a little time before they can figure it out when they come to Columbus. But um, I was not inspired by what I saw from Penn State. Um, wasn't particularly inspired from what I saw from Wisconsin either. And even and worse, honestly, even worse yeah, in what you're saying. Yeah. And considering the awful news that that was, uh, you know, solidified today. That Minnesota running back Mo Ibrahim is is done for the year with a quote unquote lower leg injury. He's having surgery tomorrow. Um, and I feel so bad for that kid because all reports are that he is just the best kind of kid. Um, you know, he, he issued a tweet earlier this morning that was very uh, perspective driven. I I just I wish him well. I hate seeing guys get hurt. That's nobody wants to see that. That's not fun. Um, but with Wisconsin not performing well, with Minnesota losing their best player, uh, with Northwestern looking like hot garbage, is this Iowa's division to lose? Because Iowa looked good. I realized the final score might've been a little bit wider because of two pick sixes, but Iowa looked legit. And, and I think they got a chance to really prove themselves nationally if they can, if they can handle Iowa State who's supposed to be a legit top 10 team in the country.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm always, um, if you read our predictions, uh, you know, leading up into this week, I, um, I, when, when given the opportunity to make a Kirk Ferentz joke, I probably will take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, for those of you who know me and, 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 uh over the last couple of years have known that I've, I've referred to him as DB Cooper. Uh, and if, and if you know who DB Cooper is, you're laughing. Uh, if you don't, let me fill you in. So D.B. Cooper is this kind of mythic guy uh, that we don't actually know who he is, but he hijacked a plane, I think, in the 70s, robbed people of like millions of dollars, and then parachuted out somewhere in the West and got away with it all. And so the, the, the joke is for me that like Kirk Ferrens, for the lack of any real tangible success, has somehow gotten millions and millions and millions of dollars in contract renewal after contract extension after contract extension with Iowa without ever actually having achieved anything of note, uh, which is mind-boggling to me and feels a little bit like highway robbery. Uh, Going at Iowa State, I think, is hard, especially Ames is an awesome college town. And if you have the opportunity to get out there and check out a game, I would highly encourage it. It is super, super fun. Um, and I, that's a, that's an excellent football team with, with a head coach who I think is, uh, is a top 10 coach in the country, if not even higher, uh, if they take care of business there, yeah, it's time to take them seriously for sure. Uh, in the context of, you know, on their best day, can they provide a shot and a challenge to, you know, Ohio state? And I think the answer is probably yes. Um, But for me, the larger point in that game is I don't know if I've ever seen a worse first step for a program or team that had been hyped so much coming into the season than what Indiana did in that game. Oh, my goodness gracious, was that a dumpster fire? After all the bluster and hype and how that – uh, the, the word threat was used over and over when it came to Indiana being a threat to Ohio State. Man, what you showed against Iowa is not within a light year of that. Now, granted, probably couldn't have played worse. And so I think it's fair to give them the benefit of the doubt and that there's probably potential, or I almost guarantee that there's a better potential. But goodness gracious, that as far as like what people were expecting and then where where you like played in that. Uh, you know, respective to that bar was way off. And I don't know if I've ever seen a bigger disparity ever uh, in, in my time paying attention to college football.
0: Yeah, that was a uh, wildly disappointing performance from uh, from Indiana. Uh, they had 11 first downs in the game. I'm, I'm trying to look up and see some specific numbers for you here. Uh, Michael Penix, uh, let's see, throwing the ball. He was 14 of 31 with three INTs. And, of course, two of those were, were pick sixes. Um, you know, when your offense puts up six points in the opener, that ain't good. Now, and again, like, let's let's maybe try to be fair on both sides here. Maybe I was that good. Maybe they really are, like, legitimately that good. Maybe they're the best team in the West, and, you know, they got a, a shot to win the Big Ten, right? Maybe maybe Indiana ran into a, a tough opponent week one.
1: And a tough place to play.
0: And a very difficult place to play. I've always thought that is one of the underrated difficult places to play in, uh, in the big 10. So let's look forward here for, uh, for Indiana, uh, on their schedule, the Hoosiers have Idaho at home this week. That shouldn't be a problem. I would think, uh, and then they have a game that is going to really test whether or not they're for real. They are hosting Cincinnati and you know, Brad, I didn't bring them up earlier and I should have shame on me for this. The Bearcats, I know this sounds dumb, okay? Because the concept of a non-Power 5 team making the the college football playoff has has just evaded reality. Cincinnati is in the perfect position if a non-Power 5 team is gonna do it because they basically brought everybody back from a team last year that was very good, and if they didn't totally choke on the final drive of the game, they should have beaten Georgia in the Peach Bowl. They brought everybody back. They're highly ranked at the beginning of the year with high expectations. They really, really shouldn't stub their toe in their league, and they play Indiana and Notre Dame on the road. If Cincinnati can take care of their own business and their conference, and and beat Indiana in Bloomington, and maybe possibly could they beat Notre Dame in South Bend? Maybe the Bearcats are that fourth team that deserves a chance.
1: Well that that was that I'm I'm glad you mentioned them because I have them on my notes. Literally number one, that no team I thought looked more impressive outside of Alabama oh, awesome. than than Cincy did uh in, in their opener. Mm-hmm. And I think the um you know this is a my the Miami of Ohio. That's a team that's expected to win their conference this year, or at the very least compete for it. Given especially the fact that Frank Solich has done at OU, that Miami was expecting is expecting big things from their team. That's a fairly good you know middle tier non power five, uh, co- you know uh, team that was that that they were playing, and they. It was a cakewalk since since UC looked like they were in like second gear the whole time and still blew them out. It was it was absolutely impressive. Um, and and I think I I I would love to believe that you know this goes back to my confidence in the college football playoff committee. Um, I would love to believe that if three teams, three power five teams separate from the rest of the pack and there's a fourth spot to be filled um, by, you know, that group of whatever, whatever they call the non-Power 5 uh, conferences now. Um, if there if there's that spot to be filled, I would love to believe that the playoff committee would give that spot to an impressive team. But I think that dream died when, when UCF didn't get in a couple years ago,
0: uh, when they probably deserved to get in. All I would say is just the changes in college football lately – they could potentially surprise us and, and Hey, who knows between now and when that decision could be made, Cincinnati might be on their way to the big 12. They're they're one of four schools expected to join that league. Um, you know, maybe that's how they spin it. But if Cincinnati looks good and goes undefeated, they absolutely have to be considered for
1: sure. The big, the big thing for me and I, uh, on on a on some level because I I'm a big Luke Fickle fan, I would love to see them smash Notre Dame. They're playing at Notre Dame, prime afternoon spot on NBC. If they give it to the Irish uh, on that afternoon, I think at that point, you know, you the, if if they're not firmly on the radar by then, uh, are wrong. Yeah. they? They should be. Um, yeah. And I, I mean I think I think it would be fantastic to be able to see one of these you know teams really really go up and, and and give it a go, especially if there isn't like a fourth deserving uh power five team in there. And I think in you could maybe convince me that you know if you know the, the that Clemson scenario plays out like we talked about previously in the show, that an undefeated flashy you know, pretty much untested because they were so good during the regular season. UC team deserves that more than, than Clemson would. I think I could absolutely be talking to that.
0: Yeah. The, the question then just becomes, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. I'm sure at nauseam down the road, you know, do you want to see Cincinnati play potentially Alabama? You know, yeah. do you want to see that? Um, what kind of draw would that game have? And, uh, you know that's that's an interesting question for sure, but on the surface, Cincinnati is absolutely off to the start that that I expected they would be. Um, bringing it back to Indiana, right? So, like I said, at Iowa versus Idaho versus Cincinnati, then they have Western Kentucky. You know, I don't I don't think Indiana is going to lose to uh, non Power Five teams, even though they had a bad showing at Iowa. Uh, but their Big Ten schedule, their first three games right. in the Big Ten are at Penn State. Now, even if Penn State isn't great, that game is in Happy Valley, and it is going to be a dogfight because that game means so much for both of those two programs and the trajectory the rest of their season could have. I wouldn't look past that game. Michigan State, I thought was going to stink. Wait a second. That was a really impressive performance by their transfer running back uh, from Wake Forest, who ran all over Northwestern's defense. Maybe I thought more highly of Northwestern after after last year, but they obviously lost a lot of talent. Maybe Michigan State is taking a step forward. And then Indiana's got to play Ohio State, right? So Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, your first three Big Ten games after that you know, four-game stretch at the beginning of the year, including Iowa and Cincinnati. they got a really tough schedule. And, and so maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm overvaluing Indiana a little bit. Or maybe I'm overreacting to a really bad performance by a quarterback I expected a lot from.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I think, I think if you compared, you know, the hype and what we were expecting and then what we actually saw and the difference mm-hmm. makes that, I think that all the more crazy, I'm going to give you another team that I think, uh, you know, it's a classic case of wait and see, but I think the first step was really good. And that's Rutgers. I, yeah. and I, and I'm going to say this quietly. So my wife upstairs isn't here. They play at Syracuse next week. And I think Syracuse stinks. Um, but
0: that that'll be interesting i'm flying in from the side hitting you that
1: it's a good thing that there are stairs there otherwise yeah i might get like terry tated off the screen <laughs> um but uh there's a there's a 90s super bowl commercial reference for you. um the uh i i am really interested you know i you've heard me make fun of greg Schiano uh, a little bit uh, on the show previously if you've listened to us a lot and i i especially for that his final season at ohio state and how comically bad it was at times on the defensive side of the ball. The man knows how to coach Went at Rutgers, apparently. I don't know, whatever it is. They just got like the highest, their their highest profile recruit ever. Quarterback, I forget his name. He played in high school this past week, quit the high school team and is now enrolled at Rutgers. So he might come in and play and be a superstar. Who knows? But the fact that they hung 60 plus on a Temple team that is actually not terrible. And then they go to Syracuse, which is not a good team, but I think, you know, is still power five, ACC. They go and blow them out. You have to start wondering a little bit of what that of what that East looks like, a little bit specific to what then Rutgers does uh, to the rest of the Big Ten. They go to Michigan, I think, end of the month. They play Ohio State, I think, the week after that. You have to wonder a little bit.
0: I uh, I think this is a fair comment. Um, you know, we are talking about teams early on in the year and. You know, you, you've got a very small sample size because it's one game. You know, you, you get to see somebody for the first time finally and and try to project off of something you've seen rather than something that you're just hearing about in practice. Um, and David Anthony brings up a really good point. He said, let's not make assumptions with teams playing their first games of the season. We'll see in Michigan State if they're any good when they play their non-conference game against Miami. Absolutely. I'm, I am no stretch sitting here saying that michigan state is all of a sudden a world beater i am saying that they looked like an entirely different football program than than they did a year ago when frankly i mean i will never ever say that a team threw in the towel or that they quit or or rate you know waved the white flag or whatever but there were a few moments last year where it was it was so bad at michigan state that i i wonder I'm like man are they losing interest in this like Tough season, COVID, bad circumstances, and an awful product this year. Um, so, for for from my perspective, watching Michigan State and watching Walker run all over a team that has played for the Big Ten Championship two of the last three years, yeah, I looked at Michigan State and said, wow, okay, you have my attention. You know, they got a strength. And they, did it. And, before and they it. did it super seriously, but a good start. And they did it on the road which I think yep. is a factor
1: um, I'm well, for, for the record, David, I will be always be team wild speculation. Uh, so the, the idea of uh, you your captain wild speculation, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> but like the idea of like not making any assumptions, I think is, uh, that's what we, that's what we're going to do a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think, you know, in large part, maybe we look at that game through the lens through, through two specific lenses with how bad Michigan state was a year ago. And then two, I think with what we you know expect from Northwestern, right? And like Pat Fitzgerald just got another contract, and then they come out and they do that. Like it, it was it, was, it was funky, kind of uh, yeah. a little bit.
0: But I, it's I'm such a new team. I, I, I get it. Give it a little time. But yeah, it was not a great first game for Northwestern at all,
1: for sure. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to to see kind of how the You know, I think, I think, you know, it would not shock me to see kind of Northwestern have kind of that second half surge that they, it always seems like they have, they always do. And that Pat Pat Fitzgerald teams kind of grow into the season and they take some time to marinate a little bit. And then they kind of peak at the right time. Um, But man, that was not, that was not a good first showing. And um, on the, on the flip side, for Sparty, that that was exactly what you wanted to see. Goodness gracious, that was about, about as picture perfect as you could maybe maybe want or expect.
0: The vast majority of our uh, live audience here is uh, with us on YouTube, but just a, another uh, plug here: if, if you're following us on YouTube, we really appreciate that, and and please subscribe for more content like this. We we do this literally four or five days a week, and and we give you a lot of the latest news and info about the program. Um, but we also have plenty of stuff to tell you about on, on Facebook and on Twitter and uh, BuckeyesNow.com as well, all the places you can find us, and you can certainly listen to this podcast after the fact, but we're glad to have you with us live. Um, you know, the, the other big game around the country that we haven't talked about that, that at least we made a, a game prediction on the website um, was last night, Notre Dame and Florida State. Um, I, I, I had written that I expected the game to be a really emotional game because of honoring Bobby Bowden and and I just thought that you know regardless of what Florida State had from a talent perspective you're at home in an environment where you're playing a gigantic national brand in Notre Dame and they were going to give it a really good shot and uh, I was not wildly impressed with Notre Dame's offensive line I'm sure that's a product of losing a couple guys in the draft Um, but I did think Jack Cohn played pretty well I think Notre Dame looked good uh, I don't know if they look great, but I thought they looked good. And I also think Florida State has taken a step forward because they competed really hard last night. Um, that's a program that's so much more fun when the when the ACC, you know, you start looking around who's good and who isn't. I, w- I would rather see Florida State be a good team. Um, so good good opening performances from both teams, not perfect by any stretch. Notre Dame, you know, snuck away with a win, and frankly, they're, I think they were – maybe a bit lucky to do so. Florida State totally
1: belongs in the bucket along with Penn State uh, and Notre Dame as far as programs. When they're good, college football was better. Um, And so, you know, I I wrote in our predictions that Notre Dame are are the biggest imposters in college football over the last couple years. And when I turned on the game, I heard – whoever the color uh announcer was uh for the game said that the the results from the last couple years were startlingly excellent um which i immediately did like the eyebrow arch and uh (laughs) like well i mean maybe politely agree to disagree there um but yeah i mean i i i think you know you want them to be good i think it's i think it's good for everyone i think uh when when they play, they will always play high-profile games. That's just the nature of the program. You know, I could still make the argument that they're the most popular college football program in the country, um, and I might be right. Uh, but like uh, above all else, you know, it, it's it was a very typical Florida State Notre Dame game, right? Where you either get a, bl- a blowout or an all-time great, you know, a classic matchup, and we got the classic. Um, you know, Mackenzie Milton said after the game that, uh, you know, no excuses, no moral victories, there are no lessons to be learned. We just have to execute better. And I thought that was like, you know, you know, you want to talk about a guy who had, you know, a whole lot of perspective force fed down his throat with all the injuries and, and everything, all the adversity that he's had to deal with the fact that he's able to have that kind of humility and self-awareness after a, a game like that is, is a pretty special thing. Um, But yeah, in in hyper highlights, totally agree. College football is more fun when Florida State's good. It's great to see them take a step forward. Uh, Their coach, I think, is finally the right guy after missing a couple times. And and, uh, hopefully, um, you know, it it bodes well for them going forward.
0: David says, thoughts on Oklahoma after their game against Tulane. Do you guys think their defense will fail them? Or do you buy the hype that they will be competing for the national championship in January? Uh I I want to see more from their defense before I tell you that I think they would fail them or not. Um I can't avoid the buying the hype component for one very specific reason. I think Spencer Rattler's really, really good. I don't know if he's gonna win the Heisman, but I think he's legit. And if you have a legit quarterback Paired with a really well-proven offensive mind in Lincoln Riley, someone argued the best in the country. They're going to win a lot of games, right? It's not so, hype. Yeah, I, think, I mean, hype is
1: wrong. I think that's inaccurate. I think by by the the pedigree and what we've seen from them over the last couple of years, um, in in, uh, first of all, Tulane's uniforms, elite, elite <laughs>
0: uniforms, Very cool,
1: then uh, uh, good stuff and, and good on them for playing in, in, you know, adverse circumstances with, with the hurricane okay. that hit Louisiana and, and, you know, them having to, to play that game, you know, uh, in Norman and, and, and that being a challenge and, and yet, and, and going out with all of that kind of weighing on them and playing as well as they did was special and and uh, fair play to them, uh, for sure. But I, to me, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's Lincoln Riley, who I is a top five coach in college football. They have, they have the quarterback and, you know, defense doesn't matter in that league. And I think in in a lot of ways, you know, if, if a big 12 team, whoever it might be, makes the college football playoff, the defense has to play well for two games. Sure. The the other ones don't matter because they're going to score 45 plus. So, you know, who, who cares? I, I, I don't worry about big 12 defenses, period point blank. And I, and I don't think you should
0: either. I think we've, uh, I think we've hit a lot of stuff, uh, as it, as it pertains to, you know, the, the week that was, and we have a lot planned for the week that will be. So let's take one more question or comment here, uh, relating to week one. And that comes from Mike Hauser. Got to be able to defend the RPA, excuse me, the RPO. Uh, Kerry Combs needs to step up. Um, You know, Mike, I I agree. In college football, you better be able to defend that because most teams run it, and Minnesota did a good job with it. Uh, And, yeah, Kerry Combs, who is in so many ways Mr. Buckeye, the guy loves being a football coach at Ohio State. He has, with the exception of a short stint at Tennessee with the Titans, he has literally coached his entire life either at the high school or college level in the state of Ohio, and there is nobody to bleed scarlet and gray more than Kerry Combs does. He's a great recruiter. He's He is endlessly energetic. He is great for that team and that culture and that environment. But this is a results business for sure. And I think there was a reason why there was some reshuffling in the offseason. Kerry knows it wasn't a, a, a great end of the year. You never really want to have – have your position group, you know, uh, expose the way the Buckeyes defense was against Alabama. And you can argue all day long, Alabama was that good and they were, and they are, but the defense wasn't good enough last year. So yeah, Mike, you're right. He is, you know, he's got to step up. He's got to get that unit to play better. Um, I think it has to be a collective effort and college football, man, if, if you don't win, They'll find somebody that does, and um, the standards are exceptionally high. And Kerry Combs checks literally every box that you want out of a guy in that building. Um, but if if he becomes the fall guy eventually, I, I really don't want that to happen. Um, I I just think that there is some warranted criticism, but let's also remember how young that group is, and give them give them a chance to grow into it. I think they're going to be okay.
1: Yeah, I think I think first off, I'm not sure how much run pass option Minnesota actually ran. I think we're talking about read option defending yeah. defending specific read only or, or run only plays that are read option plays. Um, I mean, I, I, they they definitely did run RP, some RPO, but not a ton. Um, but I, I think in general, I think the context is right that I think. Um, the, the wanting to see that be maybe a little bit more tenacious and a, and a little bit more um uh dominant dynamic i think is is uh fair and the the lack of negative plays at times um and how it looked like in in moments uh ohio state was maybe reacting to the play as opposed to trying to get downhill and make plays at the line of scrimmage or, or behind it um but yeah, I mean, I think in general, I I don't even know if I would necessarily go so far as to say that criticism is warranted. I think it's the first game. Uh, and I think I, you know, outside of the, the catastrophic injury to, to, to Ibrahim, I think if he's hurt, Minnesota does some nice things throughout the rest of Big Ten play. Now I wonder a little bit about that and their ability to do that and showcase uh, as the season goes along. Um, but in in general, I think they will be better simply just because uh, that's going to be the natural progression and development of players. And that's what happens when you have young guys uh, and unproven guys in, in two of your three position groups on defense.
0: All right. That'll wrap up tonight. Um, Again, lots, uh, lots and lots to talk about here this upcoming week with Ohio state's huge matchup against Oregon. Um, It is far and away the most important matchup around college football in terms of, Big programs playing each other this weekend. In fact, the only other top 25 matchup is one we talked about very briefly, Iowa, Iowa State. Uh, and I'm sure we'll we'll have a prediction on the website for that one later in the week. Um, we didn't even mention Michigan. I don't know, man. I, I If you don't beat Western Michigan, what, what are we even talking about? So fine, good performance for sure. McNamara looked look pretty good. J.J. McCarthy and his time on the field looked pretty good. Um, they played Western Michigan. You know, I'm not gonna get excited about that yet. They play Washington this week. Uh I am certain we will talk a little bit more about uh, Michigan and and uh and Washington in a game where Washington's ranked. Michigan isn't, but it's as big a game as Michigan has on their schedule uh, until they play the Buckeyes in November. It's, plenty, plenty to talk about on Buckeyesnow.com.
1: Go ahead, For sure. It's sad and they're it's sad because they're not even on my radar and and that's that's a problem.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't want uh, I, I really don't want to uh, I, I I don't want to have Ohio State and Michigan be a clunker again. I want that game to be competitive, but um, they need to take some strides forward for sure. So lots to lots to dive in there. Uh, obviously, the big storyline for the week for Oregon is you know will will Kavon Thibodeau be healthy enough to play? Um, I'm sure he wants to go. I'm sure Oregon is going to play it as close to the vest as possible unless there's a 0% chance he's playing, and I don't think there's a 0% chance. So, um, you know, Ohio State may have to deal with one of the best pass rushers in the country, and we will have lots of uh, questions and answers from coaches and players, I'm sure, on that topic throughout the course of the week. For Brett Hilbrand, I'm Brendan Gulick. Thanks for tuning in to the Buckeye Breakdown podcast, both after the fact, uh, wherever you like to consume your podcasts but certainly live as well. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media along the way, and we'll see you again real soon.